there, and welcome to the Zero Half Hour, brought to you by Zero Hour Health and Zedic, a podcast where we talk with leaders from across the food service industry and beyond about the pressing issues of the day in 30 minutes or less. Our goal is to share ideas from diverse perspectives on a range of topics that matter to every business in the current and post-COVID eras. I'm Rosalind Stone, CEO of Zero Hour Health, and thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Chef Tony Cachonas, Vice President of Culinary Operations for Glory Degas Grill. Tony has been with Glory Days for almost 20 years, and prior to that, he worked for superstar chef Todd English. Chef Tony will share more with us about his journey to and with Glory Days and his personal journey through COVID. Good morning, Chef Tony. How are you? Good, good morning, Rosalind. I'm doing great. I'm doing, yeah, I can finally get a bit of a sigh of relief and you know, I can start. I can start thinking more about food and more about hospitality and more about more about doing. You know what I've always aspired to do, which is make people happy. So uh, I'm doing great. That's nice to hear. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. You know, how did you sure. come to be Chef Tony at Glory Days? Sure. So, uh, so it's a long road. I will um, edit it for content and time. But um, so I. Other than being a soldier for four years uh, in the U.S. Army um, and being in school post high school, um, the restaurant business is always what I've done. It's a family thing. I come from a Greek family that um, owned restaurants and ran restaurants um, in Vermont. Um, So I grew up in Vermont and I worked for a company up there for many years. They were kind of the preeminent company up there called the Perry Restaurant Group. They had nine restaurants, early farm to table. Um, I worked there as a, as a cook, as a chef, as a general manager and managing partner. I uh, came down to the D.C. area to open a restaurant for a fantastic West Coast-based company called Restaurants Unlimited. Um, I opened their restaurant in D.C., worked as general manager until we closed post 9-11. Um, I worked for a, you know, for a James Beard Award winner and Boston-based chef named Todd English. You know, he's an international restaurateur with restaurants all over the world and that was an education, especially from the food perspective. Uh, but I worked for him for a few years. And then I came to Glory Days about 20 years ago when um, there, were, uh, there were aspirations to build a company and to build a brand that would, uh, you know, would find its way into multiple states and would really kind of redefine that whole segment, which is family-friendly sports restaurant with, uh, you know, with much better food. So that's, you know, that in a nutshell is what I've always done, but it's, uh, you know, my passion for food is, you know, it's whether, whether I'm growing, um, cause I'm a very avid gardener and, you know, former hunter and fisherman, uh, when I lived in Vermont. So I'm just interested in, in the industry and, um, how Americans source food. So that's always been, a, that's always been a great interest, but especially to do it in a way that is, uh, affordable for the average guest having worked in very expensive environments, um, you know, I'm much happier right now, much happier right now doing wings and burgers and the occasional lobster roll. So no, it's great. Excellent. Um, it's interesting. You talk about the wings and lobsters and, and the, the, you know, sort of sports bar, sports restaurant. Um, seems like that would have had lesser to go before COVID, correct? It is correct. So our, our carryout percentage is more than doubled. And, and even though we've seen it recede a little bit, um, with a lot of the restrictions being revised, um, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, our carryout business wasn't, I mean, it was a substantial percentage, but it wasn't a dominant percentage. And it is now? 
It is. It, I mean, it really is. And, um, you know, I wonder as people are going more and more out uh, to dinner and they're dining in with friends and family. I mean, I wonder how far that's going to go back. My, my guess is that it will still be 70 to 80% higher than it originally was even by the end of the summer. I agree. I agree. And, and, you know, wings, wings carry pretty well. You know, there are other restaurants that, that have, you know, food items that don't travel well. I've had my share of, you know, mediocre cold meals that I ordered out of desperation for. So I've worked at restaurants that don't even do carry out. Yeah. I mean, they refuse to do it. You know, they simply refuse to do it. Um, Our food does carry very, very well. And we're very good at packaging it. And, you know, we're really proud of uh, the experience that guests have when they finally get it home and it's reasonably priced too. So it's, you know, so we feel really good about what we're doing. Yeah. Um, Was packaging a challenge early on where some of our clients were really desperate? So packaging was a challenge. And I think more than anything, it was really kind of redefining what we wanted to do, making sure that with third-party deliveries um, that, you know, we had a, had a reliable um, tamper evident um, packaging, which, you know, which made, you know, which really made sense. And then we also had the training tools and we had the photographs to support recipes. So, you know, we've really done a lot of work on the training side over the last year, just to clarify exactly what the expectations are. It's really interesting that you're talking about training because I've had several of these, these conversations and those who excelled at training, those who had training systems in place that they could just ramp up for um, you know, for new SOPs or new new menu items or new menus um, did really well. And those that had to both ramp up training and do the training had different challenges. It's, I mean, it was a challenge because first of all, you know, you had the social distancing aspect of it. You had, you know, there were so many impediments to doing it. But we knew early on that we needed to do it. And I'm, I'm so fortunate to be part of a team that has been in place for a long time, that knows each other very well, that trusts each other. And that also, um, you know, our founders have always made sure that we have technology that really supports all of that. So, you know, they're definitely more forward thinking than um, I think a lot of um, owners are for companies our size. Yeah. One of the things I've always admired is the camaraderie on your team. It is evident in every restaurant and in every management meeting I've been in, you know, that, you know, people talk about teams and you really have a team, um, you know, that have each other's backs and, and genuinely like each other. And that, you know, really does go a long way. Well, it does, especially when the stress is super high. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, playing off of each other's knowing, Hey, you're having a bad day. You're having a bad week. What can I do to help? Or I'm not going to add to your, to your stress today. But you also got vaccinated the hard way, right? Uh, I did. I did. So, you know, it's, you know, I don't seem to learn anything easily. You know, I, you know, I always seem to be the baptism by fire guy. So, um, so my family and I were sick in January. And uh, unfortunately, I was the, I was the sickest of the bunch. Uh, I am the oldest also. So, you know, that had something to do with it. But, you know, I felt fortunate that I was in good health. And, you know, um, work out regularly and eat well and sleep well. But it's for anybody early on who is ringing this ridiculous bell that somehow um, the experience with um, COVID-19 was somehow similar to the flu. um, That myth was dispelled very quickly with me. It was it was bad. I was sick for about three weeks and it wasn't until um, I had steroids and I had uh, high dose antibiotics that I really began to kick it. I mean, I was, 
had a fever for about two weeks. Uh, I was, um, I also lost my sense of taste and smell, which as a chef is, is just, it's, it's just a punch in the gut, but, but, um, I, uh, I actually retrained it. Um, I was fanatical 50 to 75 different smells every single day. And, and yeah, I, I I was fanatical. Um, and it came back. Wow. That's awesome. So when I will think back over COVID and it feels like it was a very long year. And as you can imagine, and you and I've talked many times, we were incredibly Mm -hmm. busy and, you know, we probably went through four months where we worked 16 hour days, seven days a week. Um, But one of my early COVID memories will be of you. And it's pretty funny. Well, actually of your wife. Um, um, And, and, you know, when I was working in my dining room turned bar, you know, with a a small desk and on Zoom calls all day. And at some point I had a a Zoom call very late in the day with you. I think it was one of those days that I didn't even really get dressed and was still in my workout clothes. And early in the conversation, you're like, hey, my wife wants to talk to you. (laughs) And she got on the Zoom with us and we chatted for a few minutes. And it I have to explain why it was pivotal. A, it was really nice to meet her, but also we had a, a nice conversation, but it also taught me a lot about what it was going to look like in, or what it could look like in lockdown, in quarantine, working from home. And it didn't have to be like it was in the office. It could be way more personal and it could be, you know, there could be fun. And um, that will be one of my lasting COVID memories was your wife was the first spouse and said, Hey, I want to talk to Rosalyn. But well, well, she she had heard your name so many times. She knew that we were attached to the hip during the early months, especially. Um, she she liked how you have the ability to put me in my place when I need it, and <laughs> and and because it reminds her, I'm sure, of herself. But there was one particular moment um, that that was probably a week before that that you know I was trying to navigate everything because. You know, there were, there were rules uh, that were put out by Homeland Security regarding um, who is essential personnel. And it was so confusing. And there was a local restaurant company that really wasn't even doing contact tracing. So it was okay. really, you know, it was really scary. And I said to you, and, and I still remember, I said, Rosalind, so the worst that can happen is, is that uh, we'll have to close a restaurant. And you said to me, no, Tony, the worst that can happen is people are going to die. And, and, and I'll never forget that. And I remember hanging up the phone with you and, and sharing that conversation with Jill. And she was like, she told you. And I was like, yep. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And I needed to be set straight because it's a, you know, it's not a, it was not a situation that um, anybody had any precedent for. Right. No, at all. all. Yeah. Um, You know, early, you know, we had some early warning or early notice in Zero Hour Health that this something was coming. And, and you've heard me say this before, but um, we gave our employees all $250 in a shopping list in mid to late January to get two weeks of supplies. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> so I don't know how you could, I don't know how you could possibly know. I mean, in retrospect, one of the great reads I've done over the course of this uh, pandemic is um, um, a book called uh, Apollo Zero. And, um, you know, the, the, that was written by Nick Christakis. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But bedside table from your recommendation. I haven't opened it yet, but it is there. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's for me, for me, learning that that this really, the pandemic really wasn't unprecedented, learning that, that the number of them throughout, um, throughout recorded history 
has been substantial, but also learning, you know, the sociological element of it in, in learning how people have emerged from the pandemic and um, um, understanding it as a predictor of what we're about to see, you know, in the, in the new roaring twenties, it was really interesting, but it's one of the best reads I've had. And, you know, it, it's, it's been, you know, you know, I've actually given that book to probably a dozen people over the course of this. So it's been a really, you know, it's been a good thing, but anyway, it's, trying to get some, you know, some foreknowledge of what's coming is, is uh, really, really helpful right now. Yeah. Um, you know, this pandemic was way overdue, which mm-hmm. means the next one is overdue. And that gives me pause. You know, what does that look like? How do we, you know, how do we um, have institutional memory for what we needed to do? And who knows what the next one you know, what the next one might look like. So what did the first months of, of this look like for you? Did you have to rejig our menus? We did. So one of the first things we did is we realized that given uh, a reduced labor footprint, that it didn't make sense to have the same size menu. And also, you know, the amount of supply chain disruptions that occurred early is nothing compared to the amount of supply disruptions that are happening now. But but so there was a combination of a few things. It was a combination of understanding that we needed to simplify the menu, understanding that, um, you know, our guests would be empathetic to that. Um, and also it was just the new environment. I mean, when your sales drop by 80 to 85%, then clearly, you, you know, you can't afford to keep the same people on. So that was the heartbreaking part of this for us. I mean, our, I, I mean, our, I mean, I'm very close to our founders and, you know, and also my boss, um, Gary Cohen, they're all, they're incredibly empathetic people. You know, they care deeply about the people who work for them. So that, that was very difficult. It was having, having to lay people off, having to change how the business model worked, having to speak to our vendor partners and say, listen, you know, we have many years of um, history with you. You know who we are, you know, you know, we are good for, for the money we owe you. But um, unfortunately, when your sales drop by 80%, you're going to have to wait a little while. And in every case, um, these people knew us, they trusted us, and, you know, they stepped up and they kept us going. So our, you know, one of the great stories about this whole thing is that um, in the early months as our vendor partners were completely supportive. And also, you know, I don't want to be accused of being being a brown noser here, but I got to say, having been on as many executive calls as I've been with our founders over the course of the last year, the humanity and the decision making and how granular they were in deciding, you know, how they could allocate resources and doing the right thing time after time after time after time. It was really, you know, I mean, I get a little bit misty about that because because I'm telling you it was stressful and it was hard. And those calls were literally seven days a week. Um, initially just trying to, to keep this, this great thing called glory days that we had built over 20, 25 years going. And it was, it was scary, but um, I'm in, I'm in great company. So I'm so fortunate. I would agree with you. And, and they are, they are a great, a great group of guys who care, you know, day in and day out, you know, in, in, in the, in the hard days and the, and the better days that they care about, you know, each and every, each and every. Absolutely. Member. How are your how are your employees doing with vaccinations now? You know, it's a it's it's currently encouraging, and yet it's a mixed bag too. You know, from the beginning of the pandemic, we we um, excluded over five hundred and fifty people using your wellness check, 
So because we excluded, because that's roughly 30, 35% um, um, plus um, of our total employees, there's a built-in immunity because of the number of people who actually contracted COVID-19. We've encouraged everybody to be vaccinated. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're working hard to set the example, you know, by being vaccinated ourselves. Um, but there's no doubt that with the people in that, you know, that demographic, that, you know, that 21 to 30 year old demographic, there's, there's still this sense that people are, um, people, people feel invulnerable. What concerns me is obviously right now, you know, the introduction of the Delta variant, um, in this country and how it's affecting um, much younger people. It's, I mean, that's concerning. So we're sharing information to the best of our ability, but, um, you know, we haven't gotten to the point where we're, we're actually mandating, you know, that people are vaccinated. We're encouraging them. We're allowing them to, to, um, to go and get vaccinated on their schedule and we're supporting them, but it's, but it's, uh, you know, I'm hoping slowly, but surely that we'll get to, you know, just a better vaccination rate what we're seeing with vaccinations now is is more um, pronounced or more, um, you know, in our in our faces. But we've dealt with some of these vaccination issues in this industry for years. Um, we have a client that's got a, a, a pending EU, EOC situation in Ohio, you know, where someone refused a vaccination in an outbreak, you know, and it's going up through the you know through the legal process, and it was wow. clearly an you know it was clearly an outbreak situation. We weren't vaccinating because we you know, wanted to vaccinate, we were vaccinating because there was a, a clinical need to do so. So um, you were also seeing hep A coming back. You know, we were very fortunate that hep A and flu and norovirus especially um, really disappeared for a year. And, you know, and now noro and hep A are just roaring back. And um, we were hoping that this was gonna break the hep A cycle, but it doesn't appear that, that, that that's what happened. I wanna go back to talk about um, two things you mentioned already. Um, you said you're, you're experiencing more critical shortages now than at the height of the pandemic. So, so what happened is during the height of the pandemic, there was a bit of a glut of, um, of product and services. And, you know, the, there was, there were, um, there was, a, there was a lot of product, but there wasn't a lot of people to use it. And now the exact opposite's happened. So now that the world is, you know, is wide open and, um, businesses, um, you know, is uh, significantly up over um, last year, especially, and in many cases over the same the same week in 2019, um, those shortages are happening. And, you know, it, it's, I mean, I have supply chain um, calls every single week, and I've done it for the last 14 months, where I have calls with, um, with supply chain experts and, um, you know, our broadliner, as well as our produce company, our bread company, et cetera, just seeing, seeing what sort of supply chain resiliency um, is built in. But, you know, the critical shortages include, you know, just drivers. I mean, they're not on the front yeah. of, of um, anybody's mind, but, but driver shortages are, are, are incredibly significant right now. And it's because so many drivers, some of the older drivers simply decided to retire at the beginning of the pandemic rather than subject themselves to that danger, you know, which makes sense. You can't blame them at all. But um, so, so the supply chain shortages are, you know, from week to week. I mean, there are core items that I simply can't get. You know, I'm trying to put a lobster roll on the summer menu. You know, in previous years, I paid $23, $24 for, you know, for lobster meat. And now it's 40 
Wow. You know, it's at four, you know, it's at $40. So it's, it's a combination of um, escalated costs because of the cost of um, labor going up, but also um, really a shortage of product. And there's no doubt in my mind that there's a lot of profit taking right now. There's a lot of companies that are taking advantage of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and when you're paying $40 a pound, what, what do you have to charge for a lobster roll? I can't even think about it. Well, in many cases, you just don't do it because I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to compromise on quality. I'm not going to compromise on the size of the portion. I mean, when you order a lobster roll at glory days, I want you to go, wow, because like you, I'm from new England and, and I know what those lobster rolls are like up in Connecticut and Massachusetts. They're, you know, they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we heard a really interesting story yesterday about the driver shortage. Um, and a couple of clients mentioned, you just mentioned quality, a couple of drivers, a couple of clients mentioned some quality issues. There are a lot of new drivers out there that aren't used to operating refrigerated trucks. Um, and we've had several clients lose full truckloads that came in um, either over temp or under temp um, and, and couldn't accept the deliveries. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting you'd say that because in previous years, and, and I'm struggling to get this done now, but just to spot check uh, temperature of deliveries during um, hot weather, I've actually had disposable thermometers um, placed all over inside these trucks on some of the more critical items. So case of chicken wings has it. And once a thermometer changes from green to black, then, you know, we simply won't receive it. So, you know, we've deployed methods like that to um, keep our food safe forever, but, you know, it's harder and harder to do it right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly empathetic with us foods and PFG and um, all the other people who are trying to deliver food right now, because, you know, those drivers, even though they're paying them, you know, historically um, high wages, they're, they're, you know, they're struggling to just find people. Yeah. No, we keep hearing about that every day. So you raised another interesting issue. Um, the issue was about um, food safety. We're hearing, we're hearing, starting to hear some rumblings about concerns about food safety um, and the staffing shortage. Um, new people, fewer people, stressed, you know, time constraints. Talk to me about that. Sure. So um, there's no substitute for inspection. There's no substitute for being present and actually paying attention. And the biggest concern I have um, is really where food is prepped. And then during the cooling process, um, it's monitored carefully to make sure that you know, it reaches 70 degrees in, in two hours and obviously 41 um, in an additional four. And, and what we had been doing previous to this is we've been employing a lot of cooling methods from um, um, ice baths, et cetera. And what we're, what we're rolling out right now are cooling timers. We time everything. You know, we literally time everything. Every item cooked in our restaurant is timed. And, um, you know, having worked with a bunch of CIA grads who think that, um, that they're 100% infallible and having learned otherwise, I love the fact that um, there is literally a timer for everything we do. Um, when you deploy a timer for cooling purposes, if you pull something out of the oven and if you're cooling ribs, for example, after you've smoked them, then, um, you know, by using these cooling timers, um, it requires you to check in on an hourly basis to ensure that the um, items are cooling properly. And then uh, where they're not cooling properly, you know, you take the HACCP plan intervention step 
and, and, you, and you further cool them. So we're, you know, we're looking at a bunch of different um, ways to be able to tackle this, but you have to be present, you have to pay attention, and you have to understand where your, um, where your risk really is. And for us, a- anyway, um, you know, besides the obvious point that you raised earlier, which is, you know, you, you have to watch deliveries very carefully. It's really when we're cooling mass-produced food. Right. Absolutely. Um, what were the biggest lessons learned for Glory Days? Well, there were, there were a number. Um, I think that the biggest lessons I learned from this whole, whole thing are that um, people are resilient. Um, people, have a, people have an infinite capacity to, to, um, you know, to work hard and do the right thing and, and, you know, and show, show each other caring and to look after each other. Um, I think I learned that it's, uh, you know, our entire system, you know, um, is, is, uh, you know, it's, it's fragile and it's tenuous. And, uh, I think, um, there's, there's, I have more of an appreciation now for, um, the country we live in, the world we live in, um, and, uh, how, how hard people work to keep it going. Um, I think the other thing is that, um, you have to do the right thing. You know, you have to err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. You have, if you have to close a restaurant, you close a restaurant and, and you tell the truth. I mean, you post something on the outside door that says what the truth is. And then you watch your social media blow up with positive accolades. People saying, thank you for doing the right thing. Thank you for doing the right thing. So people, people, um, people appreciate transparency. Um, and also, you know, there's a, you know, I've heard of other companies with um, similar numbers of restaurants, similar numbers of guests who have actually had employees die during this. Yes. And, uh, and, and for me, you know, um, using, using the wellness check, um, um, managing it vigorously. Um, I was on the phone literally with managing partners seven days a week um, for the first eight, 10, 11 months, and then telling them, exclude this person. If there's any doubt at all, exclude this person. And then of course, you know, your team, Rosalind was really in, in, I'm not, I'm not being paid to say this, but you guys, you guys won our vendor of the year award last year, which is pretty amazing. And that's high praise. And, you know, we've always felt it was important to recognize the people who um, help support us in business, but it's, it's uh, last year was, you know, to use a horrible metaphor last year really was your Super Bowl, And, you know, and it's, and it was just, I mean, you rose to the occasion and, you know, um, we didn't lose any employees and we had one employee who was hospitalized only. Um, but we, we just continue to do the right thing and we continue to show that we care about our people. And, you know, I think they, you know, I think we benefited from that. Well, we really appreciated the vendor of the year award. And I have to tell you, you gave me my best prop. Um, Cause I stood on a zoom meeting. We have a, we have a huddle with our clinical team and I held up the baseball bat and I said, this is to show you guys that you have hit it out of the park. Oh, and there, and there was my, there was my coach moment. <laughs> So, thank you, it's, thank it's, you, thank you for teeing me up for that. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Uh, it was my pleasure, and I appreciate you educating us because you know we're we're business people, we're culinary people, we're restaurant people, we're hospitality people. We're 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 ill prepared to deal with this, and you know, as lay people, we didn't have the ability, we didn't have the uh, 
I mean, we, you know, we barely had the emotional bandwidth, but we were able to pull it off because of your expertise. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so grateful as I look around at all the people who, who were working um, at the beginning of the pandemic, working at the end of the pandemic. And, you know, they've all come out, they didn't take, you know, they didn't take the illness home to their, to their elderly parents and their grandparents. And, you know, so it's, for me, that really is the best testament to kind of what we chose to do. And, And, you know, it was a choice. You know, putting it in context, though, we had experience together in working with employee health issues and, and yep. some pretty serious ones in the past. Um, yep. You know, this was not our first this was not our first um, go round with community health issues impacting a restaurant. Um, right. So we, we did have that that um, we had the relationship. We had done some things on a much obviously a much smaller scale, but you were way more employee health focused, you know, than than some others, some others in the industry and had the resources in place or the tools in your toolkit, because again, you've had, had some experiences in the past. Yeah. And, and, you know, most of the experiences we've had in the past have been product recalls, you know, have been, you know, you remember the um, E. coli outbreak, you know, that fortunately missed us, um, but it was um, Canadian bison meat. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so it's a, you know, it's a, when you serve as many people as we do, it's, you know, there's always going to be, um, um, you know, some landmines out there and, and it's incredibly helpful to have somebody to help you negotiate them and, you know, and to just choose to do the right thing. I want to, I want to talk about one other thing and, and that's your presence in Virginia, Virginia, you know, throughout all of this, we've spent a lot, you and I have spent a lot of time as, ha- as have we, and, and, and lots of other clients, talking about the ever-changing um, regulatory landscape, you know, and it, it, it was really bad to, for a while to know, you know, what was the state requirement? What was the city requirement? What was the county requirement? Did they, did they align, you know, what happened when they didn't, you know, Dade County in Florida, you know, was a really a crisis for a period of time, you know, where, where the city of Miami, Dade County and Florida regs literally con- directly conflicted. We're sort of back in that situation right now in Virginia, where the, the guidance that was issued from the state and the governor's statement didn't align and we're not getting a good read on it. How did you navigate that before? How are you navigating it now? Well, the way we navigated it before was, was to always err on the side of being safe for guests and, and employees and always to deploy you know, the maximum um, effort and ensuring that people were safe. So that's, you know, so, so, so again, going back to your wellness check, and understanding that um, we were under scrutiny by guests every single day, that um, we were, you know, there were times you literally had to had to read the regulations every single day. And it wasn't just the, you know, it wasn't just the state um, conflicting with the federal government. It was also the international bodies. I remember the day last June when the WHO for one day said that um, asymptomatic transmission um, didn't account for any appreciable number of cases. And, and I shared that with a couple of managing partners that day who were really concerned only the next day to have to walk that back because yeah. they disavowed that statement. You know, I'm sure you remember that day, but yes. I were, you know, that, you know, that's indelibly etched in my mind, you know, because I had to call managing partners who trusted me and tell them I was wrong and apologize, you know, so there would be complete transparency. So what we've always done is we've always kept a very, very close eye on that. One of the things we're very, very fortunate is, is that we're an extremely politically active and able company. So Gary, you know, so Gary Cohen, 
um, you know, who is my boss is the, you know, he is the chairman of, uh, it, of the Virginia lodging and, you know, restaurant association, mm-hmm. uh, for the state of Virginia. And that, that also encompasses, um, um, venues like, like theme parks, like Mount Vernon, um, theme parks, like, um, uh, Bush gardens, et cetera. So, so he's interfacing on a regular basis with the governor's people. He's interfacing on a regular basis with, uh, people at the highest level of Virginia state government. Um, and also we're fortunate in that we have, um, you know, we have a lot of friends in the medical community. So trying to navigate that was really complicated. It was super complicated and it took a lot of effort. You know, you're, um, you know, the regularity of your, um, of your newsletters, I've shared your newsletters wide, um, but I've kind of curated them to share them with people that it made sense to share them with having, having read through them a few times, but there's no doubt that um, I, you know, I think one of the stories that will be told about this pandemic in the future is, is that the amount of conflicting information out there was, 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 was significant. And, uh, you know, I have a friend who runs the, um, communications for, you know, for Fairfax County Health Department. So, so she's a neighbor and she's a friend and, you know, and to see what she had to deal with because of the conflicting information, every single um, online comment she has to respond to. So, so I use my resources and I spread my resources out. I asked a million questions. I probably made, you know, a a whole bunch of um, of mistakes, but again, always err on the side of what's safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what was so, what was, um, almost a daily reminder through this is we just didn't know what we didn't know. You know, we knew so little, even, you know, even now we know so really little about this compared to other, other illnesses. We're going to see fall resurgences in the States that have lower vaccinations. We're concerned about this new Delta variant. Um, we have, we're expecting a rough cold and flu season because all of us have no sort of natural immunity currently because we've been in our, in our bubbles. How are you preparing for that? So we're, we're, there are some very early conversations that are happening right now about uh, what's going to happen in the fall. And the colleagues that I've been working very closely with um, and what I plan to push as a, as a response is to um, continue to keep kind of a robust um, um, presence with employees in terms of employee health, to really watch that very, very carefully and to continue to, um, to monitor um, cases locally. I think that um, the, the sick call program, you know, that you and I have been discussing that eventually if we do transition from a wellness check over to a sick call program, I think that's going to be critical. I think I'm continuing the um, conversations. We have a managing partners meeting um, next week. I have a kitchen manager's meeting next week. I'll be discussing just that at both of those meetings. That'll be, that'll be something I'll be talking about. So people are looking forward, but there's no doubt um, if I can flip that to the positive because I'm the glasses half full type person, um, you know, I think that people's awareness of symptoms, people's, people's um, willingness to not work sick, people's understanding how they can impact people. I, I really believe that that's a silver lining. I really believe that that's what's going to help us. And I think that, you know, we have to play upon people's best, best angels, if you will. We, you know, we really have to remind them that they have responsibility in protecting the people standing next to them. 
And, you know, it's something they teach you in the military. And it's something that I think a lot of our people practice without even really thinking about it now. You know, when they call out now, you know, very early on, you know, there was a concern that people would call out to game the system. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I saw people doing the right thing. I saw people reporting that they weren't feeling well um, because they wanted to protect each other, not because they wanted to have a few days off. Now, sure, that's always going to be part um, of the experience, but I I think the best way to prepare for it is to talk about it, is to acknowledge it could happen, um, to encourage people to continue to get vaccinations, and then also to ensure that, um, you, you know, we deploy the lessons that we learned. You know, all those hard, hard won lessons, hard fought lessons. But, you know, um, it's a brighter day in Virginia right now and beautiful sunny day. And hopefully that's a metaphor for what's coming. I agree. Well, thank you so much. And don't take it personally, but I hope I don't talk to you too soon because generally it means we've got something (laughs) going on. (laughs) No, listen, I appreciate all your help. And again, Rosalind, um, your support throughout this whole thing was really, you know, it was critical and you know, we don't hand out Vendor of the Year awards to just anyone. So thank you for all your support. And also please thank Julianne and please thank all the rest of your team. They were, they were awesome. Thanks very much. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Rosalind. That's our show for today. Thanks again for taking the time to join us. Stay tuned for our next episode in your inboxes and on your podcast app of choice soon. As always, if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover or have a guest we should chat with, don't hesitate to reach out to us at support at zerohourhealth.com. To learn more about us and subscribe to our twice-weekly executive summary, check out zerohourhealth.com. Thanks again.